Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's conversation is with Peter Lloyd. Peter is a very different type of entrepreneur. In his own words, he is Hong Kong British, whatever that is. He is an interfaith minister, psychotherapist and importer. He has worked as a journalist, started a publishing company, an online magazine and also writes articles for newspapers, magazines and websites. It was in his role as an interfaith minister when I first met him, and for him this is his most passionate role, one he chose after he realised his life should follow a different path than to those around him who measure success to different standards. He's clearly a sharer and links his role as an interfaith minister and psychotherapist with his beliefs, one of which is that we all share a responsibility to help and support each other. His importing business could have failed right at the start, but now provides the finance that allows him to follow his true passions. His past life and work guides him as he looks towards the future, and a life that revolves around being physically present where people are during life-changing moments, and offering services few entrepreneurs think to provide, but are vital for meaningful lives. And this is the theme in his advice to everyone as well as entrepreneurs. Our conversation was recorded in a coffee shop, and due to this there is noticeable background noise. We hope that you enjoy the content, but just in case, we have supplied a full transcript on the website at asiabizstories.com. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Hi, I'm with Peter Lloyd. We met about two years ago when I was in Hong Kong, and I was lucky enough to get married here. And Peter, can you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? So my name is Peter Lloyd. I do a few things. The reason I know Neville is that I'm an interfaith minister and a celebrant. So I celebrate weddings. That's one of my hats. I, uh, I'm also a psychotherapist. And I, I also sell spirulina as, as one of my incomes. I used to be a journalist. And I set up a publishing company in Hong Kong. I set up a magazine, one online, one in print. Um, I used to have a small column in the local newspaper, South China Morning Post. I've done, I've done a few bits and bobs. Yeah. And uh, I was born in Hong Kong and I came to live here again as an adult just before the handover. It's still here, more or less. So how long have you lived in Hong Kong? Most of my life. When you haven't lived in Hong Kong, where have you lived? In the UK mostly. UK. Yeah. So would you consider yourself British or British. Hong Kong? Or British. Okay. British, but I'm a Hong Kong British. Hong Kong British. Okay. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah. It's a something. <laughs> So you said you've done a few things. Okay, so what do you want to start off with first? What do you want to tell us let's about do, Let's do the ministry, because ministry, that's how yeah. we met. Yeah, that's how we met, yeah. yeah. Okay, so how did you get into that? Um, it was a personal thing. Uh, I used to live in a spiritual community in the north of Scotland called Finhorn. And then I came back here. And after a while, I kind of felt spiritually a little bit like I was missing things, I couldn't keep up my meditations and stuff like that, so I wanted to do more. And um, 
Yes, I heard about this course, and everybody I knew who did it seemed to really benefit. And it seemed to be really good for the stage of life I was in. So I ummed and ahed, and then I signed up. <coughs> so how long ago was that? That was 2006 to 2008, a long time ago. I actually almost did it 2005, but I thought I was going to move to India. And I moved to India, and then as soon as I landed at the airport, I knew it wasn't me. So <laughs> I had this sort of either or, but I was setting up a... I had this uh, online magazine called Holistic Hong Kong, which became Holistic Asia. And some friends moved to Bangalore, so I set up a Bangalore edition. And so I thought I'd do the India thing. Um, but it didn't quite take off. So, so yeah, I delayed it a year because of that. Yeah. So the, the ministry, how did you go about telling people, informing people that that's what you were doing and that service was available? So like promotion? Yeah, promotion. Yeah. It's, it's really been word of mouth. But uh, I had an online magazine, so I, I put it on there. Which was, and it was a spiritual environmental magazine, so it's a good target market. I was lucky enough to be booked for my first wedding before I'd even been ordained by some friends in Hong Kong um, and and then it's really just a bit random you know I've got a website had a website for a long time and is that how you found me I found you I did a, a search yeah. online search and your name popped up interfaith minister and I thought because I was I had people coming from different faiths different backgrounds from different countries different places I thought this would be ideal yeah um, and it was one of the few things I pushed for in my wedding. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah every, because I felt it would bring everyone together. Yeah, I'm really passionate about, particularly with weddings, with the work of interfaith ministry actually, because I feel it offers something that is lacking, because there's a lot of people who fall between the crack of either being in a church and of a faith, or no faith. And there is a whole bunch of people who are in between and they're not being catered for, and that's who the interfaith is for. Like people who have some faith but are not regular churchgoers or mosque-goers or synagogue-goers or whatever they are, you know. So I, I really genuinely believe in it and, and feel like it's a good thing, yeah. So that helps too. How do you feel when you're doing a service? I really love it, man. I've done about 30, maybe three dozen, something yeah. like that. I haven't counted recently. The first two, I was incredibly nervous, yeah. like almost shaking. But now I feel quite, quite relaxed, actually. Yeah. I try not to get too relaxed. Like, I try and turn up an hour or two before and double check I've got the scripts and I've got everything. I feel I've got more and more into the what ceremony means, actually. And I'm in a Skype group of people who, who look at ceremony and rites of passage. So I feel like I'm understanding more as each year goes on, what a, what a ceremony is about, what a wedding is about, what a funeral is about, what a baptism is. Yeah, so uh, I, I feel a bit more confident. You, you mentioned funerals, baptisms, so... In Hong Kong, it tends to be mostly weddings. It's not just me, but you talk to any of the priests out here, just because it's an expatriate population. So as an English speaker, um, like interfaith ministers in England, they tend to do more funerals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But in, in Hong Kong, it tends to be more weddings, just because, less bluntly put, less people die here and more people are married. So you basically, you rely on word of mouth? Word of mouth and website. And website. Yeah. 
So, is there anything that you do special with your website that to help move along? Do you do any SEO? Or? Um, no. I used to link it to my other site. Yeah. And uh, I, I probably should do more of that. Oh, I do do Google Ads. Yeah. I've done Google Ads for about four years. Yeah. And and then I'm on a. I get a lot of reference from a, a website called Marriage.com. Did you come through that, or did you mm. come from mine? It was just a straight search, yeah, go okay. straight um, Google search, maybe yeah. in Google or Yahoo. Yeah. Um, so that's that's in terms of tech. That's yeah. that's what I tend to do. I could probably write more articles. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that in the future, as or, anything, as yeah. a time and space type question. Yeah. But I, I'm always like fiddling with it. Last week, um, when I contacted you, actually, I. A real push, like I reviewed every page and I updated stuff and I changed things. Like I also became an Australian civil sovereign, and now I've lost that because I haven't moved to Australia. So a little tweaking things. I've offered pre-wedding counselling, yeah, so things like that. I'm always playing a bit. With stuff, so you're, you know. you're looking for new products or not in, products, but in a sense, you can yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I feel. You know, because it has an ethical component, product seems a bit weird, but actually it is a product. Yeah. It's a different offering. Yeah. 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 So apart from the interfaith ministry, yeah. what else do you do? Um, I'm a psychotherapist. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. yeah. I've been studying for six years, and I've got at least another two years uh, a psychotherapy based in the UK um, called Process-Oriented Psychology. It's accredited with the UKCP, the counselling board in the UK. It's also like very deep, very transpersonal, very challenging, very rigorous training. So I'm benefiting from it, grappling with it, the whole thing, I'm working on it. I've had a small practice here. I tend to give talks every couple of months. Who to? Um, just offering it to people, I'm just trying to get more clients. I work with uh, asylum seekers as a volunteer, uh, which is actually quite a number of them, and they have, they have something called a psychosocial counseling unit. So um, I've been working there for three years, and that's rewarding and challenging too. And it ties in a bit with the ministry, like this pre-wedding counseling I just mentioned. It's a sort of a marrying of the two, yeah. because it's actually got a counseling component, it's also my ministry hat. So I'm also trying to find my authentic voice. Yeah, I actually just gave a talk on divorce and separation, which is a bit weird when I conduct weddings, but actually a lot of weddings do it. So it's good to do that as consciously as possible too. So I'm trying to like find my unique curiosity and what, what moves me, and, and then I bring it into, into my work as a psychotherapist. As a therapist, it's quite important for me to bring my faith in, but not to impose it, but more that it's there, yeah. that I find meaning in what I'm doing. It's not just like a technique I do. Yeah. So how do you promote that? Psychotherapy's been quite tough, to be honest, because I know some people who go straight away and they have like the full quota of clients, and I, I haven't really flown in that Are they based in Hong Kong? In Hong Kong, They're yeah. based in Hong Kong, yeah. Um, I've had, you know, I've had two, three, four, it depends. Um, now I'm sort of half-time in the UK, half-time in Hong Kong because of family reasons as well. So it doesn't help, so I'm keeping it to a small practice. Yeah, I have a website. That's the first thing I did once I, uh, I, I could take clients. And I give talks. Those are my main promotional ways I, I do it. I've written an article 
it's not really something that you can sort of advertise in a newspaper, is it? Or is I, it? I guess you could. Um, I've got Google Ads again, and maybe I need to like up that because what I notice is like a lot of therapists put on a lot of money into Google Ads. Is there a lot of competition? There's quite a lot of competition in Hong Kong in the English-speaking therapy. Why is world. that? Um, I think because there's a there's a course based in Hong Kong, which is with a Melbourne University, which is 18 months. So a lot of people are sort of giving up corporate careers and becoming counsellors. Um, is that because they want to solve their problems or solve... I, I don't know why people do it. I know that's why I do it. Yeah. So I don't think... To be honest, I think any therapist who doesn't have a personal reason for being a therapist is, is a bit dubious. Really? <laughs> because then it implies that you're like kind of superior yeah. yeah and that actually you have all the answers and you don't really get affected and unfortunately this is true a lot of therapists who just like look at their poor clients who are suffering and they're like in this comfort zone and, and that's not the way I've been taught or live you know like we all struggle and, and have issues that we grapple with so if you now Jung said that therapy is like two people sharing a bath yeah. <laughs> and I like that like you're, you're together you know yeah. like you try your best and you might have some skills that will be useful but you're also a human being they're a human being at that moment they're suffering maybe more than you are but you can certainly empathize and do what you can so I think that's important yeah yeah I think um, you know one of the things about Hong Kong I don't know about Shanghai so much is that there's a real emphasis on goals and obviously money and success and in terms of my psychotherapy I'm like less oriented that way I'm more into finding the meaning of something less quick fix like more like what's really going on so yeah that's a factor maybe too um, like I'm fascinated by dreams that's one of my main psychotherapy interests the dreams are just awesome so is that um, is that something you learn on the course or is yeah. that something you... Yeah, but it's something I've developed as a personal passion, like a personal thing that yeah. I do. And it ties in spiritually. Dreams to me are where my spirituality come out because it brings the world of mystery and of God to daily life. Like when you really notice them, yeah, they're quite powerful. Um, and also like on a collective level. In, I, my particular psychotherapy process-oriented psychology is um, one of the few psychologies which has a social activist agenda. We, we call it world work in our jargon. Because if you are the recipient of something like homophobia or racism or some other ism, like on one level that's a personal problem, yeah. but on another level it's a collective issue. So if we can work on collective issues, then that will make the world a better place, which will then affect the individual. So that's very much our philosophy. And in Hong Kong, I don't know about Shanghai, um, there's such a stress on success and on work that there is a flip side to that. I, I gave a talk three months ago. It's the best talk I've given in terms of numbers. I only gave two days' notice, actually. I had 18 people. And, um, it was called Finding Yourself in Hong Kong, but really it was about what's it really like to live here. Because scratch the surface of like go 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 success money and there's quite a lot of alcoholism um, drugs 
malaise really is that people that have moved here or is it just I think a bit of both but yeah so um, and there's a real questioning of like who who are we and that comes through both individually and and as a society so yeah it's uh, there is that collective level too which I'm, I'm I'm fascinated about because you know like for me, I, I sometimes run a guard, I've lived here so long and all my friends are really like, super successful and I'm, I'm not in terms of strict financial success, but I'm, I'm rich in other ways and then trying to articulate those values in like, richest different forms. So yeah, that's another hack, psychotherapy. Yeah. And so that's two hacks, yeah. so what's your third hack? Um, spirulina. So I import spirulina, I've got a website, spirulinaplanet.com. This is a lovely story, actually, because at that time I almost moved to India. I had this sort of fantasy I was going to be a tea importer. And my great-grandfather and grandfather worked in India in the time of the British Empire doing tea stuff. I don't know why it's something. So I thought, oh, I'll do the same. And my best friend here was setting up Hong Kong's first veggie restaurant, organic veggie health. And I said, look, I'm going to get you tea. And I was in India and I sent him back like six or seven types of tea. And as an afterthought, I threw in a pack of spirulina. And I got an email a week later saying, terrible tea. Yeah. <laughs> Bitter and nobody drinks loose tea anyway. Spirulina was amazing. And so that's just sort of become more popular. And the moral of the story for me is, uh, like I felt I was giving, I was more or less volunteering my whole work for spiritual and environmental magazines, living like very low cost, but getting a joy from doing something I was passionate about. And and I felt like in my cosmology that God was taking care of me through this sort of rather unexpected way. So I just imported really and salad, and, yeah, and, uh, and it's still bubbling away, you know. Um, I got a license for Australia and I sell a bit in other places. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I actually I also tried organic cashew nuts, but then we had a problem with like hygiene and tried insect repellents and they kind of went but not enough. So it's quite interesting to try like different things and see which one works, you know. So yeah. So it's the spirulina, is that something you want to grow or do you, are you happy with it as it is? Mm. I tried to grow it, I put a lot of effort, I got this Australian license, that took a while, and I'd be happy for it to grow, but uh, at the moment it's sort of stable for the last two or three years. So where are you importing from? And from to India to Hong Kong. From India yeah. to Hong Kong. And sometimes I sell on to other countries, yeah. yeah. You know, I put up a website, and there's always the issue, like, because 90% of my sales are to shops, so you don't want to compete with your shops sell at the retail, not the wholesale price. Um, but then you're, you're up against cheaper goods, well, often from China. <laughs> so would they, they China exports spirulina? Which is crazy because it should only be grown in a hot climate. And I notice it's from Shandong. So, and also water quality is really important because it's a type of algae. Yeah. And uh, anyway, there's always, there's always a cheaper good somewhere. Isn't How are they able to grow it? I guess in greenhouses. Would it be organic or uh, maybe? Is yours organic? 
It's not. It's not. And actually, it's really interesting because I've been passionate about organic food for many years. But the reality of growing spirulina organically is really complicated because it needs to have a high pH alkaline level. So it's not quite as straightforward as it seems. And uh, it's, a, it's a social product. It's, there's no chemicals in it. But to be organic, you need to, to go an extra What's spirulina useful? It's used for smoothies. It's a superfood, so people add it to usually smoothies. I put it on my cereal, my salads. Yeah. How much would you use? I take a lot personally. I take yeah. like five to ten grams a day. Yeah. What would be the average person's? Less than like two or three grams. Two or three grams. Yeah. 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 But I'm vegan as well, and it's full of stuff. Good stuff. Um, protein, iron, um, B12, vegan get and um, quite a few other minerals, yeah. So it's a useful thing. So that's your third hat? That's, that's, those are my existing ones yeah. right now. So yeah. what did you do before? I was a journalist. Journalist? Yeah. Can you tell us about your journalist days? Yeah. So I came to Hong Kong and I got a job working for the New Age shop and I edited their magazine for two years. And I went back to UK for a year and then I came back and I set up basically the same magazine because it had folded in my absence. Uh, no fault of mine, I know it's stress. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did it online, and I did that for 10 years. And it, you know, it kind of went pretty well, but it never like fully took off. I tried to bring it to Asia, um, but it was good. You know, I had this holistics column in the South China Morning Post. But it was a lot of work and a lot of detail, and, and it was quite uncreative by the end. There's a lot of copying and pasting. <laughs> so I'm glad I did it. I also, um, I also set up a book publishing company called Pilgrim's Guides. Well, what did that do? Mainly oh, travel guides to yeah. spiritual centers, but a few other health type books. And I'm that to me was really clean. Like it didn't work, but I'm so glad I lived the dream. Why, why didn't it work? Because I was going for too small a market. But I was trying to be the lonely planet of, yeah. the, of the 21st century. <laughs> and it was a nice dream. And I'm just really glad I tried something which didn't quite happen, but which you do it. You know, you just say, oh, I'd love to be a book publisher. Do it. Like, I'd love to be a journalist. I did that. So I think the, the lesson for me is, if I could go back in time, like my online magazine I did for 10 years. How long ago was... That was like 2001 to 2012, 13. So. And I wish I'd stopped early. And, and I think that's where I'm a bit more brutal now. It's like if something isn't really flying, just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Like give it a go, see if it works. If it doesn't work, just let it go. Unless it's something like the ministry where it's just so easy and pleasurable to do. Yeah. You know, on the site. It's not my main income. It's a wonderful job to do on the side. You know. So how did you assess that it wasn't working? The magazine? Yeah. Well, two things. One, it, the income never really flew. It's just enough. Uh, two, it was quite draining, actually. Like the work of it became less creative as time went on. Um, and that's when I started the ministry training and I, and I found this more impetus, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think a long time ago I did a business course and I talked about the S-curve where you want to like continually grow and never be static. And that made sense to me. And that, I didn't at the time, but now I get it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm kind of watching that.
Do you think you could use the new technologies to start restart your journalism? I'm quite happy not to become a journalist. Yeah. Because I actually feel I'm not temperamentally that way. Because yeah. it's it's a highly detailed job. Like, not only do you have to be word perfect, literally, but everything, like every photo needs a credit. That's why I checked with you, like I'm so trained. Yeah. Yeah, and to get that photo credit um, for my website, you know, like everything has to be just perfect. If you make a mistake, I once wrote an article and, and forgot the journalist name, you know, which is very forgiving, you know, but little things like that are in front of you for however long the magazine is there. Like online, you can fix it. So I'm quite happy not to do that again. Every so often I feel like oh, it might be nice, but I'm a bit hesitant. Because also, you don't just want to think six months. You want to think, like, where will I be in four years? Right? And if I'm really big, what will I be doing? It's like publishing. Another one of the reasons why I'm happy not to do it is in all the time I put into that, probably the actual writing of the book was 5 to 10% of my work. And admin was 80. Bringing up shops, sending books, doing my accounts. And that doesn't really buzz me. So. You got to have a type of joy in that, which I don't. So when did you have the publishing company? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. And you know about self publishing now and Amazon. That was self publishing. That yeah, was self publishing. Yeah, I'm just. I'm glad I'm not in. Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of technology, like I've actually put taken a step back. I mean, I run still four websites, but um, I don't. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it. And, and I, I wish I wasn't on Facebook. <laughs> you so, wish you weren't on Facebook. You yeah. wish you were not on Facebook. Yeah. Why is that? I don't like to spend too much time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to limit. I if I have an addiction in life, it's probably to checking the news online and and too much time in front of the computer. So I wish I uh, I'd like to do more outdoor stuff, and that's what I like about therapies, like meeting people. Yeah. When you like, say outdoor, you mean like also gardening, and oh, like gardening. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So that that's very that's where I get a lot of sanity from. So yeah, at the moment, not not too enamoured by technology. <laughs> Trying actually, like I'm writing a thesis, which I'm writing on a laptop, but it's making me think, and like take notes and little comments and put them in like that. Yeah. If you're gonna buy somebody to be an entrepreneur, what, what advice would you give from your perspective? I have a, a friend here, maybe an acquaintance, who is one of those sort of Hong Kong success stories, turned up here age 18 and with a backpack in the 80s and left, well more than a millionaire, probably, whatever that is. <laughs> and you know, here his story that he says is he just kept saying yes, got this job, that job, and he was in the right place at the right time, and everything just just grew. Um, so in terms of, that's one level of success, financial, and I'm from a privileged family. And there, you know, I'd also like to put a shout out for different forms of success, you know, having a family, eating well, having a relaxed life, finding personal meaning. You know, that's, that's a different type of success that doesn't get valued so much in Hong Kong. Uh, which will play out in our health, our mental well-being, and ultimately our soul. So that to me is is really important. 
So, and that, that's, that's, that's a drum with a different beat, you know. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. So, uh, yeah, I listen to both. Yeah. No. So if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, look at your website, can you give that? Okay, Peter Lloyd Psychotherapist.com, SpirulinaPlanet.com. Okay, so thank you very much. Thank you. And um, we'll keep in touch as I've always done. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.